welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone. We are back with another episode of The World of Speakers, where we go across the world to find people who are speaking. We learn about their story. We learn about their best practices when it comes to speaking and how they build their business. And today, I would have to say, we are in for a treat. Today's guest is Chris Barton. He is the founder of Shazam, that app that you use to find the song that you need to know what it is. He's also an inventor, and he's a cinematic keynote speaker. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. So cinematic speaker, I like that. When you said that initially, I was like, ooh, that sounds good. Tell me a little bit more about that, and then we're going to jump into a story that shaped you. Well, I realized that as I developed as a speaker, I always would hear these tips of how to make it entertaining and engaging for the audience. And a very common one that you hear is integrating humor, getting good laughs and so on. And I like doing that. I integrate humor, but I kind of thought that I also like kind of drawing out emotions because imagine that you watch a movie, right? A very memorable movie. I mean, sure, you might watch a great comedy, but you also might watch a movie that almost brings tears to your eyes because it's so powerful emotionally. And, uh, and so I realized, you know, that's the natural thing that I'm gravitated towards is a little bit of that as well, a little bit of more of the emotions in addition to the humor as a way to really bring the audience in and keep them attached because there are real emotions tied into the story of what I went through in creating Shazam from scratch, the app that's been downloaded two billion times. So as I did that, as I kind of got into this, um, the story of the emotions, I also realized that, of course, the Shazam is an app for identifying songs. So logically, it makes sense to include music. And as I included music, I thought, well, how am I going to include music other than just walk on music? And then I realized maybe a little bit of video. And I mean, not large amounts of video, but small amounts of video with music. And so I have the sort of interspaced through the uh, experience. And so that's why I think of it as a cinematic experience, because it's the use of this video with powerful music that I like that's interweaved with the whole story that creates a cinematic-like experience in the keynote and therefore is able to kind of draw that kind of emotional kind of response from the audience even more. Awesome. It also probably taps into the willing suspension of disbelief, which is what, as a speaker, we want the audience to tap into. It also makes me think of the James Bond start. Josh Linkner, who's been a show guest here and a friend of mine and a, a fellow speaker, have you heard of the James Bond start when it comes to speaking? Oh, absolutely. And I know Josh well. And actually, I, Josh, I think was he was trained by a speaker coach named Nick Morgan that I also work with. And so actually, when Josh talks about the James Bond spark start, that's actually coming from Nick Morgan, who's an amazing uh, speaker coach and author about speaking. Yeah, Nick is great. We've had him on the show as well. So we're all part of this crazy world of speakers, you know? <laughs> we are, we are. And I love the James Bond start, you know, and it's a, another way of phrasing it is what's that moment of jeopardy. And so I actually ended up um, with Nick's coaching, really trying to draw out and think, well, what is my moment of jeopardy? So I can start out with that jeopardy at the beginning to really capture the attention, just like a, a James Bond movie would or a, a great novel that you might read. Yeah, a little in medias rest for sure. Well, let's take two steps back. We just took a step forward. We're going to do the Paula Abdul here. And uh, let's talk about a single story from your past that shaped you. And the reason we do that is stories are how we get to know each other. And that's way cooler than just reading a bio. So what's a story that shaped you from your past? You can pull off of the 
pull off of the record shelf, put on the the old spinner and play it for us. One just immediately just came to mind. Uh, it's not the one that I was going to use, which would be, would have been a little bit more about having dyslexia. And I, d- I actually tied that into my keynotes because it's uh, it helped me figure out how to think differently. But rather than talking about that one, I'll just talk about this one um, from when I was in. Um, it was ninth grade, I believe. And I was taking math and I generally was pretty good at math, but also all courses were difficult for me, including math because of my dyslexia. So it can dyslexia, people think it just affects reading, but it actually, you know, affects many courses because you're having to interpret and bring in information. And that's more challenging for people with dyslexia. So I was taking a math course, an advanced math course, because it was one of my strengths in ninth grade. And I was really worried. I was really absolutely terrified because I felt completely lost. I mean, you know how math, it just kind of moves at a fast pace. And so suddenly you're into some new thing. And the more this, I think we were getting more into the advanced algebra and there were just so many letters all over the place and equations moving around. And it just, it really just threw me for a loop. And I felt so lost. And I kind of went from thinking, wow, I'm good at math to suddenly thinking I'm completely lost. I'm going to fail this. I literally felt I was going to fail and I remember uh, thinking, yeah, I was about to fail the exam. I went to the bike rack one day and I was locking my bike and I just happened to see my teacher, the math teacher in the bike rack um, that one morning, just a day or two before the exam. And he was also the vice principal, by the way, of the school. He was a very scary guy, ex-military guy. And um, he said, hi, Chris, how are you doing? Are you ready for that exam? And I, I said, look, Mr. Campaign, I'm actually terrified. I really think I'm going to fail this. I'm so sure I'm going to fail. I just have no idea what's going on. And he said, he said, Chris, I'll tell you what, I'll cut you a deal. I'll guarantee you a C right now, or you can just see how you do. Which one do you want? Wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh my, I just thought for a moment. And my tendency was thinking, wow, that's really attractive, the guaranteed C. But I was someone that always strived for the great grades and so on. So at the same time, I kind of thought, well, that there's no upside in that. And I thought, wow, that really makes a statement that he believes in me. And that's obviously was the takeaway, right? Believe in yourself. And he believed in me and believe in yourself. And, and so I declined the guaranteed C, I, despite all my fears of failing, and I went for the, for the I'm going to see what I, how I do. And I definitely exceeded the C. I can't remember what it was, but it was an A or a B. And it was such a lesson to me, you know, that, that kind of that moment of just believe in yourself that he handed me. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard, I don't know exactly the person who said it, but I remember it, the concept around story and how important it is and that life's all about stories, the stories you tell everyone else and the stories you tell yourself. And that just came to mind where if the story you're telling yourself is that you're going to fail, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because cognitive dissonance is a real thing. Evolutionarily, we want to be right. And so if we think we're going to fail, all the data that we see, we sort of parse it out. We only take the data that reinforces our hypothesis. And so this idea can be called limiting beliefs or self-talk or you know affirmations, but there's so much power in that. And it's interesting how somebody else helped you to identify that, but with allowing you to make the decision. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. And it, it was so memorable. I mean, I can still remember every moment of that experience. Imagine from being at whatever it was, 14 or 15 years old. And it's, it was, it's like it's, it was yesterday because it was such a, a pivotal moment in my life. Now, have you always been one to use the form of speaking as a way to communicate? Has that been a strength for you? I would say that I a strength has been, yeah, communicating with people and being convincing is a skill that I had from a very young age to the point where my parents used to say, you should be a lawyer one day. But I've never 
I was not a, a public speaker for most of my life, um, getting up in front of, of audiences. That, that I sort of just fell into on accident about, about 10 years ago. Well, I'd argue that if you speak in public, then you are a public speaker. It's a scientific fact that you cannot argue either. <laughs> There's a story that I have so many people tell themselves is that they're not a public speaker. And so I simply go, okay, have you spoken in public today? And they get really confused. It's like they don't understand, like, no, have you spoken in public today? And they go, yeah. Well, then you're speaking in public. Like, get over it. That's the one thing that I think holds people back in the very beginning is not giving themselves credit because asking questions, having conversations with people, it's all technically public speaking. Maybe it's just me being cheeky. Yeah, that's true. No, it is. There's a lot of, and the other thing I find fascinating is when I read about different speakers, there's so many that are introverts. And you think that's, why would an introvert be the person that gets up on stage in front of a large number of people? But I think it's a big statement of you don't have to be this gregarious sort of loud person to be someone that gets on stage. You can get into a certain mindset, almost like going for a run where you're meditating, and then you get into this mode where you're delivering this amazing speech, even if you are an introvert. And I think back to what you said about the idea of emotions being involved in stories and storytelling and what it is. If you look at the introvert versus extrovert, that's really external. But if you just take people in general, they are emotional. They go through emotions. They might just share it differently. So when I hear of somebody being introverted and being a speaker, I initially go back to thinking of like, wow, their life experience, some of the things that they've had, it's less, it's less about them. It's more about the audience. And it's like that courage, them believing in themselves enough to know that they're going to help others believe in themselves really at the end of the day. So I think that's cool. Yeah. Now, speaking of speaking, this is a great way to transition. I love to hear best tips and tricks when it comes to the art of communication. Now, it doesn't have to necessarily be the stage, but it all ends up on the stage. I know that you mentioned you've been working with Nick and you've been working with Josh, and I'm sure, you know, you're somebody who is taking in all this information, but you might have some stuff that you've created the to go back to mathematics, the derivative of something that Nick says, or a certain function or algorithm that you've put together with your inputs. Let's come up with an algebraic function or an algorithm around how to communicate emotions on stage. All right, so we'll give a lane there, because I really like this idea of emotions and how, I mean, like you said, music and all these things that come involved with it. So if you were going to do a function of, you know, f of x equals it's going to be a certain equation. Yeah, right. This is great. Okay. Well, the equation is, I'm going to say, uh, you know, the, the, it's a function of achieving this sort of emotional connection is a function of connection plus vulnerability times stories. Ooh. All right. So I've got F of X equals S with the parentheses C plus V. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. There we go. All right, so let's let's break this down a little bit. Let's talk about inside the parentheses because that's what we do first before we multiply if we're going through the chain of, I don't know, whatever you call it, but like the chain of mathematics, right? So let's talk about the connection and let's talk about the vulnerability and how they're added together for a multiplier. Yeah, and so I, by the way, I, just to slightly revise that equation, it's going to be C plus S times V. So C plus S plus V. So the C is the connection. Okay. And, and on the connection, of, I, I, I believe that basically what you're doing is you're, I mean, sure, you, you display a certain personality and openness and so on with the audience. So you're, but what you're trying to do is show, you know, 
display your warmth, you know, display how connected they can feel to you. And so what the way I achieve that connection is a moment of being with the audience, with a member of the audience, really up close. So it doesn't mean I'm kind of spending a whole bunch of time with a bunch of audience members. And actually, I, I thought deeply about, you know, all this interaction with the audience that different speakers use. But I felt like for my cinematic experiences, it didn't feel appropriate. I kind of thought the more I end up towards a workshop experience, the less cinematic and emotional I'm going to be. So I didn't want to go that direction. But I did want to have a moment of being close to an audience member. So I actually go down into the audience and I, I have I spend a moment um, explaining Shazam, actually, that the app to an audience member who's not familiar with it. Uh, because in any in any large audience, you know, whatever it is, 100 or 1,000 people, there'll be a, some percentage that have never used Shazam, of course. And so so I go to, I do that. And I don't try to do something of like now, you know, like now everyone do this in the audience and everyone think of something. I don't do any of this kind of things. I call it the workshop stuff because it just doesn't feel right for me. But I do spend a moment with this person in front of everyone connecting on what Shazam is, how it works, and how they feel about it when they see it for the first time. So that's and that, what that entire little experience is, and it's not long, it might be like less than a, a minute or two, it creates this connection because I'm connecting with that person. And this is the thing that Nick Morgan pointed out to me is that that has like a butterfly effect because the whole audience is witnessing me being kind of warm and connected with one person. They kind of absorb that warmth. Does that make sense? So even though they didn't experience it, I didn't stand right next to every audience member but they watch it and then they kind of it has this butterfly effect where they sort of absorb it. So that's the connection part. Okay. Let, let me, I have a couple questions on that. Some technical stuff. Cause we're talking mathematics. It's great by the way, logistics. So in my mind, there's a couple questions that I thought of like microphones, your mic, maybe with a lapel mic. So do you have a microphone with, do you have your physical phone? Are you using their phone? Are you bring? you say you're going down into the audience, but how do people physically see them? Is it, level where the camera's like, talk to me through those, because that's where I think people's minds might go. Okay, I like that. Yeah, well, actually, so I'm, all, I'm a big believer. In fact, it's a part of my kind of core content. I'm a big believer in eliminating friction, making things seamless and, you know, making it as easy as possible. So like, you know, if you have to use their phone, if they have to install an app, if they have to, you know, and get a microphone and have the, for the, have them have a microphone, just all that is a headache, too much friction there. So I just use my own microphone, whatever it may be, it could be, it could be the yeah, journeyman, or it could be the lapel microphone. And frankly, you know, it's most important that they hear me. They do get picked up because they're standing just a, a couple feet away from me or sitting a couple feet away from me. So th I've noticed it does pick up their voice adequately, but it's not like, you know, they're a core part of, um, that all you're really hearing is like, have you, you know, this is how it works. So there's not much. You're just hearing how they respond. But I, I use my own phone. And so what I'm doing is I've got a mirrored experience. So there's my own phone, which they're seeing. And then there's this the PowerPoint up on the screen, which everyone else can see. And so I don't rely on a camera being really up close to see my phone and so on, because that would also create headaches and uncertainties and friction. So basically what I do is I have a slide that shows Shazam up on the screen. And then I'm showing them. I also have Shazam separately launched on my phone. And then I say to the person, now I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to identify a song in front of you. And so I then click play on the screen and everyone in the entire audience sees then the PowerPoint, this sort of uh, essentially a demo of Shazam live demo. And of course, part of a live demo is loud music. But then that exact same music is being identified by the Shazam app on my phone in front of this one audience member. And that happens in just a couple seconds. They see it. Then so does the audience sees this kind of demoed result on the PowerPoint. So they get to feel like they're experiencing the same thing. 
And then I just asked the audience member, how did that feel? What did you think of that? Right? Because remember, they're seeing Shazam for the first time. And one thing that's fascinating about Shazam, fascinating, is that a very significant portion of people will remember the very first time they used Shazam. And if you think about that for a second, my mom will say she remembers the day that John F. Kennedy was shot and the, the day the man landed on the moon. But there's not that many things you remember, and certainly not for products. Do you remember the first day you used a MacBook? And that's an incredible product, but I don't remember that. But many, many people will remember the first time they saw Shazam because it is this like shocking, magical experience. And so that's what I'm trying to, that's the little bit of risk because I don't know how they're going to respond to that. Some of them might just go, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Now all apps can do things like that. But sometimes they're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. How did it do that? And that's what I'm trying, hoping to get to. But really the main goal is not their, that incredible response. That's a, that's a nice to have icing on the cake. The main goal is really just to have that little bit of interaction with an audience member showing Shazam as a way to really show Shazam to, on the screen to everyone, because there will be a portion of the audience, and it varies based on the audience profile and so on, that does is not familiar with Shazam. So, of course, I need to show it to them if I'm about to do a whole speech about the creation of it. Okay. So what's interesting listening is that referring back to your mom and the concept of these major pinnacle moments in life, and back to your story at the bike rack, back to the person who's in the theater or you know that you're visiting with there in real time, would you guess that the reason these things are so memorable is because it evokes some sort of emotion? Yes, I would agree. I mean, I think emotion is an integral part of our life experience. And it's, for some people, it's too strong and it actually takes life out of control. But it's part, it's just part of our experience. It's like a sensory thing. You know, we have sight, smell, hearing, and we have emotion. So yeah, I would agree with that. What's interesting too about the emotion is that in these examples, you as the person who's remembering you in ninth grade, your mom, where that happened, me when something happened, it's almost like something happened that you experienced. And you say the word experience versus it's not something that like you just, you create, like if you're creating something, it maybe seems like it's less memorable, but this experience of the connection is really to tap into the emotion, which the app does independently, but that's that connection coefficient. Yeah, yeah that's correct. Yeah. Now, here's the one thing, and we can come back to this, but right now with just C, it's a coefficient of one. So there's no multiplier effect there. And so as we evaluate this whole equation, I'm curious if you do see this as like a 2C or a 3C or 1C in relationship to weighting it in the total equation. So yeah, that's a good point. I, I viewed it at least it's more, it's not that it couldn't be multiplied by doing more things, but it's more that the way I decided to address it in my keynote, because we're all limited. We all have millions of ideas, but meanwhile, we have only 45 minutes for the keynote, right? And so you have to pick and choose what you're going to do. And so I viewed it as sort of a, a binary thing of like, I want to turn it from zero to one, and I'm going to do it through this little interaction I created. And then I, I went from zero to one, zero being like, we don't know how to connect with this guy. We, you know, he seems like a nice guy on stage to one of like, oh, this guy seems like an, a warm person that can connect with people. I'm now viewing him that way. So I kind of get them across that threshold from zero to one. Yeah, you're getting from zero to one is what gets you past the croc brain, the mammalian brain that I know Nick talks a lot about as well. You have to convince them that you're not a bear or some sort of woolly mammoth that's going to attack them. And then that opens up the rest of their mind right out the gates. I like it. Okay, so we've done the connection. Now we have the S times V. Which one do you want to attack first? Yeah, so the V, you know, really comes down to its vulnerability, right? And it's something that 
uh, I remember learning from Ben Nimton, who's a very successful speaker, and he really emphasized how vulnerability is a big part of what he believes has led to success of his keynote speaking, his content and his experiences and his successful business. But he's not the only person. I mean, there's many people I think that successfully use vulnerability. And I think vulnerability is when you expose it through your stories, you're really, that's what is allowing people to kind of go beyond the sort of analytical view of the story and really go into how did it feel for you? So what I do is, as I'm talking through a story, so for example, there might be, uh, I'll give you an example. Maybe I talk about, oh, Shazam, we had to build a music database from scratch. Okay, so that's from an analytical standpoint. Okay, that looks, sounds like a gargantuan task to build a giant music database of all music. But then I actually spend a moment now kind of talking about how that felt, you know, just a moment, not a deep dive, but just sort of like, you know, just really exposing like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? Like, this is overwhelming. Like we don't have, we don't own any CDs, you know, we don't own the CDs and we certainly can't afford to buy them. And that's terrifying because if we did have to buy all these CDs, we would burn all our money up and we wouldn't have any money to build the business. And uh, what are we going to do? Because at the same time, we need all the music and there is no digital database of music. So what are we going to do? We have to build it. We don't have the music and it's sort of a scary situation to be in. And so just really, you know, not just talking about it from this sort of like we had to do this, but how did that feel to me? You know, how was that scary? You know, how did that make me feel a level of discomfort and fear? And that's the vulnerability because, you know, most entrepreneurs are often an entrepreneur. I think an audience expects they're going to be like, oh, look at the amazing things we accomplished. But what's really interesting is how the entrepreneur might have felt fear and uncertainty around whether that they could accomplish that. And that could have been a blow to the entire business vision. It could have caused failure. And so what does that feel like? And, and if you ex can really expose how it felt like to you as the entrepreneur in this situation, the audience can really connect to that vulnerability and they can feel like, they feel like it's taking them into this, the emotions of the experience, right? Of what it feels like. And it makes it much more interesting and much more of an immersive experience, an emotional experience for the audience. Emotional immersive experience, a triple threat, triple E. <laughs> and yeah, and, and I just want to say one more thing. That was just one story. So that's why it's multiplied times S, S being stories. And then um, what was the other letter that we used? So it's S times stories. Yeah, well, we have C plus. C plus S times V. Yeah, so the V is vulnerability. So if you can do that in a few stories, and I do, of having several stories where you're, you're talking about the vulnerability aspect of it, and really thinking as you tell the, through this talk, tell the story, how does it feel to you? So on the equation standpoint, you could think ahead of time, how much time do I have? We've got a 45 minute or hour keynote, whatever it is. And as you're developing, we all have a million stories that we could tell. And so maybe you decide ahead of time as you're structuring based on what the audience wants, relevant for them, talk with the organizers, the goals and whatnot. And then you can pick those three stories. And then the equation would be the C plus three S times V. And so that coefficient that you're basically for each story, you're getting that hit three different times of vulnerability. Yep. And well, it comes to mind. So I speak about authenticity a lot and vulnerability is definitely part of that. And I really do believe that, as you said, a lot of audience expect, and sometimes the successful entrepreneurs deliver this, like, here's my success. But I truly have found that people don't care about your story of success. It actually separates you because they don't have that success. And what I found as you're explaining, is that people are more interested in seeing themselves in your story. 
Yeah. We all have the same senses. We all have the same emotions that we tap into. And this idea of feeling ties into the emotion, which is situation based, which then makes the speech more memorable as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Have Have you heard of the feel felt found customer service method? No. I learned this back when I was selling mortgages and it stuck with me and I absolutely love it. So whenever you get some sort of pushback or in sales, right, you know, you're trying to close deals and you get these objections. There's always ways to deal with objections. And this is like the ultimate tool, maybe the Shazam of objections. And it's a formula that says, first, you use the word feel and you acknowledge and you go, oh, my gosh, I know how you feel. Yeah. So you're acknowledging their feelings. Then you bring it back to yourself and you say, you know, I felt like that when mm. parallel a story that is similar and then say, and what I found in the end is that here's the moral of the story or the lesson. Okay. So it could be from somebody saying, hey, this is too expensive. Oh my gosh, I totally know how you feel. I mean, I felt like that when I purchased my house. But what I found is that you can't put a price on how close you are to the water or something like that. And so it's it's a real soft takeaway and it's engaging. It makes me think about what you're saying. And it also works when somebody is like, my dog died. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. You're like, what do I say? Well, you say, oh my gosh, I know how you feel. I felt like that when Buster passed away. And what I found is it just takes time and just sort of go through the motions. And I'm here to like, you know, I'm here to be here for you kind of style. So the feel felt found is an interesting element. Maybe that could add into, right? So like the F of X equals C, which is connection, plus the number of stories that opens up the vulnerability. And then you have this, like, I'm trying to think of what would be almost like a derivative of FFF. So like your, your feel felt found in the middle of it. That's a great idea. And, and what I like about that, because obviously when I think an important job of the keynote speaker is to make it feel like it's about the audience, not about them. Right. And so, yeah. so you tell this story that shows this vulnerability, you have a learning from it, but you really want the audience to be thinking about, well, how do they take this away in their own lives? You know, and and so, you know, how would you do this? You know, I, I like to make things very conversational. How would you do this? What would you do in this situation? And, you know, can you imagine what that felt like, you know, and so on? There's points where I say, would you give up? You know, I show them something that was nearly insurmountable and Shazam. And, and I'm like, would anyone give up at this point? You know, because I, I certainly felt like I was going to give up. Right. And so you're bringing it back to them. And so how did they feel felt found right and then you know what and then of course you tell them what you did and they can almost imagine in their own particular thing that they're challenged and scared by you know how they can what could they do what how can they find a solution that's maybe in some way influenced by what you just taught them as a takeaway yeah they have a parallel insurmountable thing that they're dealing with do you know james taylor have you connected with him yet yeah, I, just briefly, yeah. Yeah, super cool guy. And one of the, you know, he always has a bunch of great little snippets and tips. And one that is relevant to this is the idea of transitioning your story back to the audience. And you did this initially, and naturally you probably do this, but for people listening, this is a key way to turn your story back to the audience. You tell your story, and then you literally say something to the extent of, now the reason I'm telling you this is because... And that then cues them to this lesson that they're learning. And as a storytelling tactic, I always teach that, you know, you tell your story and then you have to have that inflection point 
Now, why am I telling you this? It's because, and it relates it back to their lives. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we officially have a new Shazam function for <laughs> ultimate uh, emotion experience on stage. And it is F of X equals C plus S, the, the number of stories times the vulnerability that you explore. Yeah. And then we could probably put it all over feel felt found just to sort of like, you know, put that into spark. So, and now we've just scared away all the speakers with a complicated <laughs> math, <laughs> but for those that are intimidated, find yourself at the bike rack here with Chris. And he says, look, I can guarantee you a C or you can take your chances, get out there on stage yourself. And now it's up to you. I like it. All right, well, let's close this out with some talk and tips about how you're building your speaking business. What's great and relatable is that you sort of have recently discovered this as a medium, as a business, as a way to sort of expand your brand and your reach and your impact. What would you say has moved the needle the most? I know that you're with some bureaus. I know that you've been working with these amazing speaker coaches, just getting connected. I mean, we got connected through Jeff Butler. What's up, Jeff? Thanks for making the connection. But what would you say is moving the needle the most? Yeah, so I would say my strategy is actually inspired by my business experience, you know, having created Shazam, but also having, by the way, I, we didn't mention, but I spent eight, almost eight years at Google and four years at Dropbox as well, both from relatively early days when they were younger companies. And um, Google was like 2,000 employees when I joined a few months before going public. Dropbox was like 90 employees with duct tape on the floor. But one of the common things that with Google and Dropbox and Shazam is that with all three of them, they didn't have massive marketing budgets. They they basically grew tremendously because of the quality of their products, right? So, and literally it was just people talking about it. Shazam. I mean, never had any marketing budget. We'd never spent any money on marketing. And yet purely through word of mouth, and by the way, there's no virality of Shazam. So by word of mouth, Shazam would get 8 million new downloads every month. Imagine 8 million people, just people telling each other about it. And same with Google. Google, I remember when I was there, Larry and Sergey were not big believers in marketing, right? They just believed have an amazing search and it would just grow on its own. And a similar thing with Dropbox as we tried different products. We would really focus on a product that was just so referable, right? It was just a product that you just was so delightful that people would just tell each other about it. So my strategy in speaking is very similar to that. It's I focus very much on... I focus very much on the content, you know, the content and delivery and the experience, really, and then build the kind of referable speech. And there's even a book called The Referable Speaker. But that's, you know, building an, an amazing, you know, I, I like to have content that is interesting, surprising, insightful, not expected, with great stories that are real firsthand stories that I draw on from my own experiences. And then kind of weaving in sort of, as I mentioned, the vulnerability and the emotions to make it very personal and emotional little humor as well. But just, I really want it to be engaging. Like, you know, I don't want, I measure myself by how often I see someone looking at their phone and I want it to be almost none. Right. And I would just don't want people looking at their phones. Cause they're like, it's like when you go to a movie theater and you see that movie that was just so amazing that you don't even remember being sitting in the movie theater, you come out and it's like, wow, I was, I sitting in a movie theater for two hours. It felt like I was just, I was just dancing with wolves. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I want it to be like. And so I focus very much on that. And then I figure my thinking is that then what happens is that becomes referable, right? Among among the speaking industry, among clients and meeting planners and bureaus and so on. And of course, I do also have a great manager, Tony D'Amelio, and he knows all the bureaus. So I've sort of connected and so on to all the bureaus. But 
But on, all that is meaningless if you don't have this just amazing keynote experience that leaves people dazzled. I mean, I, I love like sometimes after a keynote, someone will come up to me and said, I was crying. You know, I, I felt so uh, hearing this story. Um, sometimes I get like a line of people wanting to do selfies. And I love that, you know, because they're like, it's, it's like, I'm not a name. I'm not a celebrity, Chris Barton. No one's ever heard of that name, but they know Shazam and like, wow, the founder of Shazam. And so I love that. And uh, I like feeling having humility and being humble and feeling like just an ordinary person. And, and, you know, I just happen to have founded this company, but I'm not anyone special. I'm just connecting with the audience that way. So, yeah, so that's my method. I, all the other methods I'm, I have to admit, I am just perplexed at how they work. I know everyone has very aggressive social networking things. I never understand any of that. I have a little bit of an Instagram, but not much. And all the other, I don't really do any out. I don't do any outbound reaching out to anyone. I have what I think is a pretty simple, beautiful experience of a website. And also I put a lot of effort into a great reel so that you it really conveys a nice experience there as well. And then, so yeah, great reel, great website, and then excellent keynotes. All right. That is excellent. I've got three questions for you. What is your middle name? I actually have two because my father's British and my mother's French. And in England, that's a tradition to give people two middle names sometimes. One of them is a French one, of course, for my mother, French mother. And the other one is very British for my dad. It's actually his middle name as well. So my full name is Christopher Jacques, as spelled like Jacques Cousteau, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. Christopher Jacques Penrose, there's the British one, Barton. That's my full name, Christopher Jacques Penrose Barton. And the reason I ask is because you mentioned that, you know, you don't have this name recognition, yet everyone knows Shazam. And so I was going to suggest you might consider throwing maybe a third middle name in there. Like technically you could be, <laughs> you could maybe be Chris Jacques, the P word Shazam Burton, Barton. <laughs> Add Shazam. It's funny because my, my Instagram handle is Chris J. Barton. And I thought, I wonder if I should be, like, I noticed the founder of MySpace is something like MySpace Tom or something. And I thought maybe I should have Shazam in my Instagram handle, but yeah, maybe, or maybe your middle name, who knows? But anyways, there's an opportunity there. So that's just kind of funny. The second thing you said that your audience, you want them to be dazzled. And as I was listening to this in the context of you being early stage in Google, early stage in Dropbox, creating an app with 2 billion downloads with 8 million users per month new, I was a little frazzled. And so how can we take this type of a referable approach, but to somebody who doesn't have that early crazy startup experience and doesn't have an app with billions of downloads? You did say that you're just sort of a nobody and that's your humility, but dude, you're somebody and you've crushed it and you have all of this crazy life experience that people want to chase after and learn from because of the brand names that you've worked with. So I think the referable speaker definitely can work in like the pure content format, but I want to push back a little bit because you dazzle them, but people that don't have the pedigree are going to be frazzled. How do you, or what would you give them advice to do? Yeah. It's a, well, I would say a couple of things. One is, first of all, all the impressive Google and Dropbox stuff was all after I started Shazam because I started Shazam 23 years ago in the year 2000. So I created an app eight years before apps existed. And then when I did that, I definitely wasn't a nobody. I had just been a management consultant and I hadn't ever invented anything. I hadn't filed any patents today. I've got 12 patents across those three companies. But 
And frankly, I struggled. I mean, in my speech, I open up with how in fifth grade, they divided the 60 kids into two classes, the smart kids and the not so smart kids. And I was in the not so smart kids. And then and then years later, I, I was able to work hard and get into UC Berkeley for undergrad. But then my first semester there, I got a 1.7 GPA, which is failing two season a D. And they sent a letter not to me, but directly to my parents saying your son will be kicked out of UC Berkeley. Because uh, I was struggling and I was lost and confused and really struggling. And so, I mean, I very much speak to in my keynotes about how, you know, I struggled, frankly, and I never felt like I was the super genius at all and a super accomplished in any way. If anything, I felt like it's going to be a real struggle for me to be able to, like, stay competitive with a lot of these amazing people around me. But I realized that as a dyslexic, I had to kind of just think in a different way. And that was my secret weapon. And so that's what I talk about is this disruptor thinking, I call it, or the start from zero methodology of five ways of thinking differently. And, and it's just it's ways to think that are not our default ways to think. But anyone can think in these ways to really accomplish amazing, game-changing things. And so it's very, very accessible and very um, doable for anyone. And anyone can do it. Anyone can create Shazam. I mean, I, I was not a music expert or a technology expert. And I created Shazam just because I had this dream, this vision. I thought differently. And I found a way to do it. Okay. So for the person that's frazzled, we all start with the same. Uh, it, we Actually, probably most of us start with more of a disadvantage than we think when we're projecting out there. And what I'd like to point out is that the content of your keynotes, which you are saying is the most important part of the referability, is about stories from you, from your childhood, about the challenges you had, the struggles, the, the feelings, the over the insurmountable obstacles that you faced. And so somebody who feels frazzled that they don't have the pedigree, I would challenge them that you have the the fail agree, like we've all had that. And so your ability to craft a message, to connect with an audience, I do feel that that is the ticket to becoming the keynote that has the honorariums that you want to make the money where you can focus on this without that pedigree. And there are a lot of people who you might not know their name. Maybe you've never actually heard of them, yet they're pulling in 20, 30, 40, 50 grand per talk. And that's because they have content that stands for itself and they've been doing it enough, and they keep showing up enough so that people see them, hear them, are dazzled, and then refer them out. And that's how we can all grow. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about referral. Shazam. You know, I was actually at dinner the other day with somebody I was just meeting for the first time in a group, and a song came on. She literally pulled out her phone and was like, and just went, and I'm like, what are you doing right now? She's like, Shazamming. I was like, oh, okay. I know. It's funny. I like sometimes I like to say that the greatest rewarding moment of Shazam was not inventing the technology that everyone said was impossible, and it was not selling the company to Apple, which ended up as six the sixth largest acquisition of all time by Apple. But that the greatest rewarding moment it was actually walking into a bar, or cafe, or gym, looking across the room and seeing someone Shazamming, and then you're like, oh my gosh, people are really using this out in the real world. And it's just feels something about it. Even if you see the numbers, nothing matches actually that moment when you actually see someone shazamming. And that happens to me once in a while. And I, I, it's uh, so rewarding. And I'll take that story, but replace shazamming with whatever it is that you're trying to share on the stage, whether it's about being more authentic, whether it's your form of leadership or the way that you approach sales or the thing that you're putting out on stage. I really love what you said there. And, and this is, I think, a great way to close it out is that regardless of the acquisition, if there's money involved or not, or the success of whatever your five-point plan or three-step process is, that's like one side of the equation. But don't lose sight of when you walk into a bar and you see somebody share that their dog died, 
And then somebody says, I know how you feel. I felt that way before, but what I've found, and if that is your shtick, that's the real magic. That's the payoff. And that is the true, I guess, can we call it viral without it being like online? Like it's really an offline virality. And that's just at the end of the day, connecting with humans, whether they're at a bike rack, whether it's a teacher or a student, whether it's a mom or a dad, these are people with emotions. And when you can create your own cinema, uh, get them to sit in a seat and leave, not knowing that they were just sitting there watching someone, but experiencing something. That's really what I think you're sharing here. And I think people can relate to that and be dazzled. Yeah, I agree. All right. So we've got a new speaking equation of engagement and emotion. We've got basically inspiration to take and lead your content and focus on that. Forget your pedigree, focus on the content. We can all learn from each other. And I believe in abundance. So I think there's plenty of stages and plenty of room for people to get up there and share their stories. And uh, don't take that guaranteed C. Get out there and shoot for the A, right? Absolutely. And I look forward to seeing you out there. Yeah. We'll definitely share the stage sometime soon. Now, for people who want to get in touch with you, want to find you on Instagram, want to experience your classy website, the sizzle reel, and even get the book that I know that you're writing, how do they best connect with you so they can support you and follow your journey? Yeah, uh, well, chrisjbarton.com. So it has my middle initial. So chrisjbarton.com is my website. And you can contact me through that. And then my Instagram is chrisjbarton as well as my handle. Those are the two best ways. And yeah, I'm just getting started. You were giving me great advice. Thanks, Ryan, on the book and just getting started. So that's going to be a long journey, but I'm excited to write a, a hopefully a great book that people can get one day as well. Awesome. They will get. I'm ready for an early copy when it comes to that point. So thank you. And a big shout out to Speaker Hub, our sponsor and our fuel behind this crazy idea about talking with people around the world when it comes to speaking, the art of and how to build your business. If you want to become a speaker, but don't have a website, you're not there, you don't know how to get found, you can put up a profile on Speaker Hub, you can search for call for applications, you can connect with other speakers, you can build one pagers, you can put widgets for your email signature to point people back and it gives you at least a first step to get more professional. And if you're interested in me, my ginger energy, what I do, how I speak about authenticity or my book, Ditch the Act, you can find it all online if you remember my name. Chris, do you remember my name? <laughs> yeah, it's Ryan Foland. So if you want to find more about Ryan online, then you go to Ryan.online. Only Ryan, I like it. <laughs> Only Ryan.online. All right. Well, hey, dude, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate your time. And I will say that the listeners are definitely both frazzled and dazzled, but I think that uh, you're going to inspire them to take on the the daunting that they are all looking at. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks so much for having me. This has been fun. Totally. All right. Shazam you later, buddy. <laughs> All right. All right. Adios. Adios.